Good morning again, Connection. My name is John, and believe it or not, I actually serve as one of the pastors here. And so um, I realize I'm probably going to be fighting a bit of an uphill battle with y'all in credibility. Um, I'm here now to try to communicate um, the word, to communicate the gospel, and I'm having to try to do that in light of what I did at the start of this service. So I'm going to try my best to be able to do that. I think it's kind of funny with it being Father's Day is that my father was at the service at 9 a.m. and my father-in-law is at the service here today at 11. And I can only imagine that my father's probably thinking, where did I go wrong? And my father-in-law is thinking, who or what did my wife marry? All right, but the reality is that's who they have, are stuck with, and so it's just going to have to work. Um, but I was not originally intended to preach this morning, but um, our pastor, Brandon, he actually went up to our Dublin campus, and he's preaching up there. And so I stepped in to, um, to speak with you all this morning, and I'm excited to be able to do so. Um, and it's been a fun day already, and I'm excited to be able to share God's word with you um, today. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to the book of John. The book of John, we're going to be in John chapter 1. Um, several months ago, we started a church-wide reading plan called the 412 Reading Plan. You can pick one up out in the atrium, or you can um, get it on our app. It's called the Connection Church Official app if you've um, got a smartphone and you like doing things that way. And what this is, is this is just a way for us to, as an entire church, to read the Bible together. So we're all studying the same Thing. And it's not something so that we can just check something off, our, on our, off of our list, but just something for us to, to stay consistent in our reading in the Bible. And so we decided to even have our messages follow that same format. And so over the past couple weeks, we've been studying the book of Luke. And um, today we're going to, again, start off the book of John. If you're reading in the reading plan, you know that we started the book of John on Friday. And so that's where we're going to be. By the end of this year, what's incredible is we will have read through the entire New Testament together as a church. And so um, it's just exciting to be able to do that. I encourage you to participate in this and to read along. Um, and so you'll be able to know exactly what we're going to be studying and talking about on a Sunday morning. And so I want to go ahead and read the first eight 18 verses of John chapter 1, and then we're going to pray, and we are going to dive into the rest of this message. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was one before me. 
Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let's pray. Well, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather. God, we thank you for the opportunity to sing praise to your name. God, we thank you for, um, God, how you move in our lives. God, we thank you for the fact that we can call you Father. God, on this Father's Day that we can go to you and we can call you Father, that we can climb up into your lap, into your arms in our times of need and in our times of joy, we can approach you. God, how incredible is it that we get to do that? God, I pray this morning, God, your voice is heard in this room, that, God, you speak to people, you penetrate hearts, you speak to them where they are at in their life and in their walk with you. God, I pray that you reveal yourself. God, I pray you reveal your truth to us of who you are and what you have done for us, God. So speak to us, God. We're listening. In your son's name, amen. All right, well, the book of John, it is um, considered the fourth gospel. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic gospels. And what that means is basically um, they have very close similarities with one another. They tell a lot of the same stories. You see the same themes throughout them. So they're very, very similar in nature. And the book of John also tells the story of Jesus. However, it takes it from a little bit different angle. It speaks at things from a little bit different um, angle on things, almost from an eyewitness account. So the the things that, that John speaks about um, just have a little bit different perspective. Um, the incredible thing about the book of John is it, it kind of covers everything. From beginning to end, it kind of covers everything. And so if you're new to Christianity, you're wanting to check things out, you're just new to your faith, the book of John is a great place to begin because it kind of covers everything. And what's great about it is it gives an a incredible um, explanation of the character and the nature of who God is in and through Jesus. And so if you're wondering where to begin, the book of John is a great place to begin. What we see in these first 18 verses is it's almost as though it is a, a prologue to the rest of the book of John. What John is, is writing here is he's kind of giving an explanation of what he's going to address throughout the rest of John. And so I wanted to highlight some of the different things that I see pointed out here that you see that are talked about that ultimately are going to be um, talked about in depth later on in John. And so what we see is that in the beginning of this chapter, we see this concept of, because this, let me back up. So this whole um, 18 verses is all about Jesus. If you missed that, it's all about Jesus. Everything in here, the word is being referred to as Jesus. So this entire section is talking about Jesus. So we see in the beginning of this, Jesus being referred to as, um, as deity for, for him to, be, to understand that he was from the very beginning. When I was studying this, I realized that the verb was, it was actually conveying an idea of a continuous existence. It wasn't like he came to be, he just always was. And so that kind of, you know, changed it a little bit that Jesus didn't show up on the scene, you know, 2,000 years ago. Jesus was with God from the very beginning. He always existed. It was just this continual concept that the word as it's described here, it's being described in the Greek as almost inner thought or an outward expression of that, of that thought. And so when we think about who God is, that his inner thought or his outward expression of that thought would be expressed through Jesus. 
this. A commentator, Elmer Towns, says this. He said, words are used to communicate, express, and convey meaning. Words are used to communicate, express, and convey meaning. Therefore, Jesus, as the word, is the expressed It's the expression, revelation, and communication of God himself. We see that Jesus is the expression, revelation, and communication of God himself. We see this relationship that Jesus and God has. It is a face-to-face relationship that the two are one in the same. We see in verse 3 this concept of Jesus being the creator, Jesus being there from the very beginning, and that all things were made through him. We're going to continue to see these patterns of this being discussed throughout the rest of John. We see this concept of Jesus being referred to as the light, that the reality that, that the light shines, that the light is also the opposition to darkness. We see this, this concept that Jesus is the opposition to darkness in the same way that we talked about that the word that Jesus just always was, him being the light, it's that same description. It just always was. There always was light. We see the concept of Jesus being rejected. When we see, look, in verses 10 and 11, we see that though he was in this world, though he was the creator of this world, the world did not understand him. The world did not identify with him. Therefore, the world rejected who he was. And we'll see that again in continued things throughout the book of John. We see his offer to us. He's offering us salvation. And it says that we can receive this. When you um, understand the, the, the translation of being received, it's actually translated more as a possession. When we receive Jesus, it is we are gaining his Holy Spirit. We are taking possession of his Holy Spirit, not for us to put our hands on it, for it to now be possessed within inside of us, for his spirit to come inside of us. That is his offer. That is the offer that God has for us is for Jesus through his spirit to come and to live in inside of us. We see this concept of his incarnation, this concept of him being both man and being God. It's this, this crazy concept of how God came to earth as a man and was able to live as both man and God, that he suffered all of the same things that man suffered, dealt with all the same things that man suffered with, but he did not do it with sin. He didn't come into the world already a sinner like me and you do. Because what you see in Adam and Eve, when they first were created, they didn't have sin. It wasn't until they chose to disobey. So Jesus came on in the same way. He didn't have sin to begin with like we do. But yet, Minute after minute and hour after hour, Jesus continued to make the correct decision, and he lived that perfect life. He was able to be both fully man and fully God. We see, and that, and that continues to be expanded on through the whole book of John. And so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, okay, there's all of those themes. There's all of those um, things that are being talked about at the beginning of this chapter. Where do I even begin with this? Because so much of that, there's so much in there. You know, a lot of times when I read scripture, sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to take away from this. I just feel like I I don't have anything. You know, maybe you're, um, I've read commentaries before and you see that there's like 80 chapters on one word. And you're like, how in the world are you dissecting this much off of the word the, right? Like, it's just, it's kind of crazy. And I'm like, how are you doing this? And there's times that I look at that and I'm like, "I, I, I just can't get anything. Maybe I'm just not smart enough. That's actually, that's very true. I'm not smart enough. But like, a lot of times I'm not able to do that. When I look at this one, I'm like, it's clear this is chock full of stuff. It's clear that there's probably so many directions. There's so many things that we could talk about. Just the concept of Jesus existing 
always. We could spend this whole time talking about this, just the concept of him being the light and what that represents. We could talk about that the entire time, the concept of him being rejected and us going against what he has planned for us, or just the concept of us um, being offered this free gift of salvation. We could dig into and expand on any one of those things. And I'm like, where do we even begin? And when I look at this, honestly, it overwhelms me. Honestly, I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's so much in there. Man, that's actually incredible. It honestly blows me away to look at all that is being taught about in there. But I thought about it. I'm like, man, I don't necessarily read that. When I read that in the first time, it didn't necessarily blow me out of my seat. And I'm like, why is that? And so what I want to do is I want to step back a little bit, and I want to kind of build a foundation for this this section of Scripture to sit on top of, right? And if we can build this foundation, then I feel like, this might come alive a little bit more with us. And so what I was thinking about is at the beginning of this year, we had an all staff here at the church. And what that is, is once a month, we get all of our staff together from all of our different campuses. And um, we just we pray with one another. We worship together. We share some just good news of what's been going on at all of our campuses so we can just celebrate all that God is doing. And then normally we will hear a message from our pastor, Brandon. And a lot of times that might be a message on leadership or maybe it's a um, message of kind of a, some vision casting or where we're headed as a, as a church. Or it could just be that he takes something in God's word and just teaches us and encourages us um, to continue moving forward. And on this particular day, he opened it up and he said, all right, I have a question for all of you. And he said, here's the question. Can truth be created? Can truth be created? And he said, now I want you to break them into groups, and I want you all to discuss this with one another, right? So we broke them into groups, and at the beginning of this, we all kind of looked at one another because we're like, I kind of think I know what the right answer is, but I don't want to say the wrong thing and then look dumb in front of the pastor, right? And so it was kind of like, you know, for those of you that grew up in Sunday school, right, and when you didn't know the answer, you're like, can I just say Jesus? Like, that's got to be right. That's like at least 50% of the time. And so we're like, can we just answer Jesus? Is that okay? Because we're like, we just didn't want to get it wrong. But we discussed it for a little bit of time, and we came to the conclusion that, no, truth cannot be created. Truth is just truth. It just exists. And so we come back together, and we kind of um, sheepily say this to Brandon. We're like, yes, truth cannot be created. And he said, yes, I would agree. We're like, okay, whew, we got it right. Like, that was a close one, right? But he expanded, and he went on this, and he said, yes, I, I, I don't believe that truth can be created. He said, but however, so often we as individuals, we as humans, we try to create truth. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that every one of us, because of our experiences, because of our opinions, because of um, maybe the things that we've researched in our life, the, the data that we've gotten in our, in our lives, we've come to conclusions about different things in our life, whether it's our belief system, whether it's where we fall on the political side of things, whether it's how we raise our kids, we have determined different truths in our lives of what we determine is true. But the only issue with that is that there's always somebody on the other end of the aisle that says, well, because of my experience and because of my research and because of my education, because of what I've gone through, I determined that this is true. This is how something should be. This is how you should believe. This is truth, right? Well, here's the issue with that. When you have two people doing that, you have two people creating their own versions of truth, you end up with two truths. Well, here's the issue with that. You can't have more than one truth because there's only one truth, right? And so it's either 
it is true or it's not true. It's either you are pregnant or you are not pregnant, right? There's no in-between. It's not, I'm kind of pregnant, right? It's either one or the other. So we see in the very nature that you can't have, you can't create truth because if you created truth, you'd be creating more than one truth. Does that make sense, all right? Are you following with me? Just, just a little bit. Keep on going with me, all right? So if we can't create truth, but if we keep on doing this, the only way for us to say that our opinion is the actual correct one is for us to elevate ourselves above somebody else and to say that I'm going to elevate myself to higher worth, to higher standing, so I can say that my truth is actually the right truth because I am superior to you. I have a different vantage point than you, therefore I am correct. It forces us to do that, and you see that all the time. You see people beginning to try to elevate themselves with their beliefs because of what they know. But here's the issue with that. Every single one of us as humans, we all have the same vantage point. We all have the same way of being able to look at things because all of us are not at any higher levels. Now, we might have different education. We might have different experiences where we can different things can be revealed to us. But ultimately, we can only look at things with one, one way, which means that there has to be something greater than us. There has to be something that has a higher authority than us that has a different vantage point on what truth is. To me, that proves the reality that God has to exist, right? Because if we can't determine it on our own because we are not able to fully see it, it means that something greater than us has got to be able to define that for us, right? And so if that's true, and I believe that it is, to me that's good news because that proves the very existence of God. Here's what's incredible that just asking the question, can truth be created, ultimately when we whittle it all down, proves the existence of God. Great news. Well, here's still the issue with that. How do we know that our version of truth, the Christianity version of truth, the God of the Bible, that God is the truth. Because you're going to have other people that they believe just as strongly as we do about their belief. They say, yeah, we believe in God also, but we believe it looks like this. How do we know that this is true? And that's what Brandon posed the question to us is how do we, what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? Because we can identify this. We can prove that, yeah, there's got to be a God. There's got to be something that's greater than us that has a different angle of being able to look at things. But how do we, what do we do with that? And what I would say is that, can we prove Christianity beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's correct? And the reality is, we can't. We can't do that. Because there is an element of our faith that requires just that, faith. There's an element of our belief what goes along with that is that we have to have an element of faith, an element of something that we aren't going to be able to know ourselves because we aren't God. All right? But that doesn't mean that we can't have incredible confidence that this is true and that what we believe is true. So I don't want to create any skepticism in here. I want us to give us confidence that what we believe can be true. So follow with me on this. One of the things I think about is I think about the consistency of God's word. God's word is 66 books written down by over 40 authors over the span of around 1,500 years. And it all tells the same story. It all points 
to the life and the work of Jesus. And it's consistent across the board. It's the same theme across the board. It all tells the story of Jesus. Across all of those authors, across all of those years, across all of those cultures, we see that the whole thing comes together. We think about the reliability of Scripture. There are over or just under 6,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts of the New Testament that we have access to. Many of those as far back as only about 50 years from when Jesus actually walked this earth. We have the, the actual original copies of those things. And every one of them, every copy that we have matches up perfectly. How incredible is it that that would be the case you know, what's crazy about that is we don't question the authenticity of, you know, the Odyssey, right? But the amount of manuscripts we have of the Odyssey versus the Bible pales in comparison. We have so much more to back God's word up. Here, think about this. The entire Bible, we have just under about 20,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts. Here's what's crazy about that. Up until about 60 years ago, the oldest version we had was from around 900 A.D., all right? So about 1,000 years ago was the oldest copy of a version of the Old Testament that we had. And many of you know that then we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the earliest one in the Dead Sea Scrolls was from 125 B.C., so about 1,000 years earlier than we previously had. One of the things we found in there was the entire book of Isaiah. And so you're probably thinking, all right, 1,000 years has passed between this version and this other version that we have. There's probably going to be some things that have missed. Here's what's incredible. There wasn't anything missing. It, they were almost 100% identical. The only things that were different was a word here or a word there, and it didn't change the overall message that was being talked about. And so we see there was such incredible care taken in preserving God's word. There's so much proof that we can find. The other thing I think about is the Bible has stood the test of time for thousands of years. People have been trying to disprove it. They've been trying to discredit it and it's still here. It's still, and God's church is still growing. How incredible is it? And what it, what it shows me is that we don't really have to, it seems like we don't have to defend the word. It seems like it's been doing a pretty good job on its own defending itself, right? Like, that's incredible to really think about. Think about the disciples. Think about these men that walked with Jesus, that they got to experience walking with the word, Right? If you think about that, before Jesus went to the cross, I would imagine that many of those disciples were willing to die for Jesus because they saw what he was doing. They saw what he was capable of. They saw him healing people. They saw all of these taking place, and they're like, yeah, I'm on board with this. I'll be willing to do whatever it takes because they saw what was happening. But then think about this. Think about after Jesus was put to death on the cross, if he didn't resurrect the disciples would have known about that. They would have, they would have known whether it happened or whether it didn't happen. And see, here's the thing. If it didn't happen, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, the disciples wouldn't have wanted to die for Jesus at that point because he would have been a liar. He wouldn't have been telling the truth. And so they might have been willing to die for him when he was making all these promises. But when, when it was time to actually see what, what was what, if it didn't happen, they were probably going to be like, hey, this was a fun ride, but peace, I'm out. Like, I'm not going to die for this because I know it not to be true. But almost every one of the disciples were willing to, ended up dying for their faith. They were martyrs for their faith 
because they knew that it did take place. Right? And those manuscripts that we have, they were written in the lifetime of people that would have been eyewitnesses of those events that took place. And so if people were writing things down, saying, thing, saying a certain thing happens, and it didn't actually happen, there would have been a bunch of people who were like, no, 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 I was there. That didn't happen. Well, you don't see that. There's incredible confidence that we can have in the reliability, the consistency, all these things of the Bible. And there's so much information that you can go down to find out all this type of information about how much confidence we can have in this. But I was thinking about this. We can have all that. And to me, that gives us all the confidence I, I think we need to believe that this is true. I think that gives us a lot of confidence to be able to have. But think about this. The thing that no other religion, no other belief system has is how do they explain how sinful man can approach a holy God, right? What other belief system can explain how sinful man can approach a holy God? Because every other belief system says that it's about you making yourself good enough. It's about you cleaning yourself up enough, you trying to make yourself worthy enough so that you might be able to approach the God of the universe, right? And so you see this constant idea of people trying to work and work and work to try to approach God. But they're never going to be able to do it. And so the God in Christianity says, look, I realize you're never going to be able to do it. So instead of you trying to work to me, instead I'm going to come to you. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to come and die for you so that I can pay the penalty of your sins so that now you can be in right standing with me and be able to approach me. What we see is that God came to us instead of us having to try to clean ourselves up and be able to come to him. Here's what's absolutely crazy about that. God did that knowing that we might not choose to respond back to him. He died for us without knowing that we might not choose to respond back to him. In fact, he knew which one of us is not going to respond, and yet he still did it anyway. That is the type of love and grace God has. Let me, let me explain it this way. Let's say you were in debt, um, let's say a trillion dollars, right? You'd made some bad decisions in your life. Let's, let's even increase it more because even our country is in debt more than that. So let's say you were in debt a hundred trillion dollars, right? You just, you had, um, you know, you just played the ponies a little too much and you just really had made some bad decisions. You were in debt up to your eyeballs, right? You could work a lot. You could work every single hour of your life you're never going to be able to pay off that debt, are you? Because it's too great. Because there's no job that I know of that pays, you know, $100 trillion a year, right? I don't think they exist. If they do, let me know, right? But they just don't exist. And so there's nothing that you could work and work and work, but you're never going to be able to pay off that debt. Here's the other thing. If you have a friend who also is in debt and you go to that friend and say, hey, I've made some bad decisions, right? I need a little help out. Can you, can you help me out a little bit this month, right? If that friend is also in debt, that friend can't get you out of debt, right? They don't have the means, do they? So it doesn't work for somebody else to try to come alongside you. The only person, the only um, person that can get you out of debt is somebody who has the means to get you out of that debt. That's what we see 
in Christianity. God looks at us and says, look, your debt of sin, whether it is one sin or a thousand sins, is like a debt of a hundred trillion million billion dollars. And you can work as hard as you want, but you're never going to be able to pay off that debt. And God realizes that. And he says, look, and I know that there's nobody else that can help you out of that. The only person that can help you out of that is one that actually has the means. And so God, in his infinite mercy and in his infinite love and grace, said, tell you what, I'm going to take that on myself. Because I'm the only one capable and has a large enough bank account to bail you out of that type of sin. And so what God does is God comes to earth as a man where it says that the word became flesh, God became flesh, lived a perfect life so that he could take on the punishment because he'd be the only one. You'd have to live a perfect life and be without sin so you actually had something to offer to die for us, so that we might be able to be made right and come back into a right relationship with Him. Like, that's crazy to think about, isn't it? It's crazy to think about that the God of the universe, literally the God of the universe, the creator of all of this, that snapped His fingers and everything came into being, said, tell you what, even though you've gotten it wrong, even though you have disobeyed me, even though you're going to continue to disobey me, I'm going to pay off your debt. I'm going to come and I'm going to make you right again. I'm going to restore this relationship that I have with you because I love you so much that I want to have a relationship with you and I'm willing to do whatever it takes, even though you have done nothing to deserve it. That is crazy. It's crazy to think about that God would do that for us, that God would do that for me, and that God would do that for you. But why, why does that not blow us away? Why does that not absolutely go make us go, oh my gosh, can you believe what the God of the universe did for me as an individual? Why does it not blow us away? Because here's the reality. The implications of us believing that are huge. Because here's what we're saying. We're saying that there was a man that walked this earth 2,000 years ago that stood up and said, hey, everybody, I'm God, right? If that happened this morning and one of you stood up and said, hey, everybody, I'm God, we'd say that person is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? They are off their rocker. They need to be medicated. They got some, some daddy issues. I don't know what's going on, but we need to get them help. Right, But ultimately, this is what Jesus did. And some people did think that he was crazy, but a lot of people that heard him, they said, who is this man that speaks with such authority and not the type of authority that was demonstrative, that was trying to um, hold something over people, but somebody that had a vantage point above everybody else, that was able to look at what truth actually was and give a right perspective on it. And so we see there was such incredible power in Jesus' words because he was the word. 
Jesus was the word, and so we see the rest of God's word has such incredible power. So when we look at 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We see that there is incredible power in God's word. God's word has the ability to do that, to penetrate our hearts, and to change us from the inside out. Hebrews 4.12 says that, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It joins in merit, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. We see that God's word has the ability to penetrate our hearts, to change us. It is because it is God's word. It is who he is through the word of Jesus. And so when we think about this and we think about who Jesus actually was, how does it not change how we read John 1? When we wrap our minds around the creator coming to us, and then we read about that story, read about John 1, where we see that entire story outlined. Should that not immediately remind us of what God did for us to where we become so overwhelmed by the gospel again? But see, here's the thing. I believe that the gospel, God coming to sinful man and dying in our place, has become too commonplace in our lives. It's just become the thing that, oh, yeah, Jesus died for me, right? It should, every single time we think about it, it should literally make us go, what? This is nuts. I remember I heard a comedian tell, say one time where he was saying that the concept of air flight should absolutely blow us away, right? To think about human beings flying through the air. He said, every single time we get on a plane and we're up in the air, we should be in our seat going, oh, my gosh, we're flying through the air, Right? Because think about it. Humans, we're not supposed to be flying through the air, right? That's crazy to think about, right? But somehow, through signs, through wingspans and all this different stuff, human beings can go up with, you know, hundreds of us, be in a little tunnel, and whoo, fly through the air. It's nuts. It is absolutely crazy. But we're like, oh, I just need to, you know, take a little quick flight, you know, right on up to land, no big deal, right? Even though we just flew up 20,000 feet in the sky as a human being, like a bird, it's flying through the air, but it, it doesn't really affect us anymore. I believe the gospel is the same way. It should make us go, oh my gosh, God, God, the creator died for me, me. To restore that relationship, it should blow us away. But what I realized as I was studying this and as I read John 1, I'm like, man, there's so much in here. And I'm like, man, that's good. And I'm like, this will be a good thing to preach on. And then I kind of closed my Bible and kept on thinking about stuff. And I'm like, and it just, God stopped me and said, like, John, do you realize what you're reading? Do you realize how much is in here? This is my entire story. It's in these 18 verses. This should blow you away. Why have you become so casual to my word? And what I realize, as I realize this, is I think that, the reason it doesn't affect me like it should is because I've allowed the gospel to become commonplace. I've allowed my interactions with God to just be moment, momentary interactions with God, as Brandon's been talking about. I can, as Brandon's been, been talking about us having these momentary interactions with God, and that's it, I've been identifying so much of myself in this. And what, what, I, what we realize, and what we've been t discussing a lot as staff, is we realize more and more that Sunday morning— if that's all that it is in our faith, 
then we're never going to be blown away by the gospel, right? We're ne- it's never going to happen because here's what so often what we do, and myself included in this, Sunday morning is what gets me through the rest of the week, right? I come in, I get, I get fed, I hear an encouraging message, I hear about the gospel, I hear about the goodness and the grace of God, and I'm like, yes, absolutely, man, that is just that thing that fires me up to get me through the rest of the week. But man, if that's what it is, then we're missing the point of Sunday morning. Sunday morning should be the capstone of our week. It should be the celebration of all that we've been studying all week long so that on this past Friday when we opened up our Bible to do our our Bible reading plan and we opened up to John 1 and we began reading about how the Word became flesh and we were reminded about how the God of the universe came to earth and became flesh to die on our behalf. We should have been like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I can't wait to get to Sunday because on Sunday we get to celebrate the fact that God did that for us. And so when we sing words like how Jesus left the 99 in order to come to the one, we're like, yeah, that's my God. That's what he's been doing. And I've already been reading so much and and seeing so much of what God's been doing in my life that, man, I just want to celebrate that. And what we realize that everything should be building towards Sunday. Everything should be building, all of our, everything we're doing all week long should be building up for this celebration on Sunday. I remember growing up, um, me and my dad, we used to like to watch funny car races. If you don't know what that is, it's a, basically it's a, it's a drag car, and he used to love these races, and he used to talk about the reason he loved them is that he said there was so much buildup. There was so much just anticipation. You had all, you had these, these big, loud cars that, you know, they'd be working on them. They'd be having all these different people that were changing out tires and filling up gas. And it was just exciting, all this buildup. And you kind of saw the, the car beginning to pull up. And it was kind of going, blah, 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 you know, coming on up. And it was just really exciting. And he's like, he, I remember when I was really little, he'd say, man, it, just be ready. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. I'm like, okay, Dad. He's like, no, I don't think you realize. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And so it began pulling up, and it's doing all this stuff, and there's all this buildup, all this anticipation. And by the time that thing's getting ready to go down, I'm like, man, what's about to happen? This is going to be incredible. Man, I just can't wait for this. And then all of a sudden it got to green. It was over, right? Like that. It was over just like that. And I'm like, what? That's it? That's, it's like, oh my gosh, all of this buildup was just released in this, this moment in time, and it was just this explosion. And I'm like, man, what would it look like if that's what Sunday was? If there's all this buildup, all this anticipation, and then we come in here as the church, and it's just like, worship, right? It was just this incredible thing. Man, I feel like maybe that's how it should be, but I know the only way for that to take place is for me and for you to, on a daily basis, interact with God and dig into his word. You know, over the past couple weeks, Brandon's given us some questions to ask as we're studying scripture. And we're going to put these questions up on the back screen. But these, these four questions are questions to be asking ourselves. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you, write these questions down. But these questions is, as we are reading scripture, we should ask ourselves these things in this particular scripture is, who is God? Who am I? What has God done? And who have I become? If we ask ourselves these questions as we're studying scripture, I believe our response is going to be, we're blown away. Because think about it, let's do that for this particular section. Who is God? God is the creator. God is Jesus. He was 
at all times. Like he didn't have to be created because he just was. That's who our God is. In the whole book of John, Jesus' name is referred to almost in 20 different ways. He's referred to as word, God, life, light of men, true light, flesh, only begotten from the Father, Jesus Christ, only begotten God, Christ, Lord, Jesus, Lamb of God, a man, son of God, rabbi, teacher, Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, son of God, king of Israel, and son of man. You see that John recognized who Jesus and God were, right? And so we see just in this passage how incredible and how great God is. And so when we look at that, when we just look, we could stop right there and stop at who is God and be blown away. So who are we in this? When I look at this and I look at who we are, you know who we are? Nothing. Nothing. In light of who God is, how can we say that we are anything? How do we read this and think that any one of us are anything? The only response to reading John 1 is that of repentance, surrender, and worship. That's the only thing that we can respond with in light of who God is. Who are we to compare ourselves to God? What has God done? He has come to us. He has made the word become flesh. He came to us to be sin on our behalf, to take on our penalty, what was deserved to us. He has decided to do that for us without us having to do anything. What have we become? We've become a new creation. When you see that the word, that we can receive the word, that means that when we receive the word, that means we receive God's spirit. Here's the promise that goes along with that. And we're going to be telling your kids about this all week long. Is that when we are abiding in the spirit, when we are walking in communion with the Father, things begin to flow up out of us. And just like a tree, when it has proper nutrients, it develops fruit. It produces fruit in the same way for us. When we are abiding in Christ, when we are walking in step with the Spirit, what naturally begins to come out of us is the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I think that's all of them, right? We begin to see those things coming out of us. But see, here's the thing. We don't have to try to be patient and be like, Mm, I gotta be really, really patient, right? We don't have to try to have joy. We don't have to try to be faithful. We don't have to try to be gentle. When we walk into walk in step with the Spirit, that is a natural overflow. That comes from God, the Spirit, working inside of us, renewing us from the inside out, changing us, making us new creations. That is the promise of what John is talking about here. Is that that's what we receive. So we don't have to try to do it on our own anymore. We don't have to try to make ourselves right. When we just begin walking with God, He changes us. And then that fruit begins flowing out of us. It is an incredible thing to see what we have become because of what God did for us. How do we ask those four questions in this scripture and not go, oh my gosh, nuts. I hope when you look at this, I hope you get blown away. Here's what I know. Is that the only way for that to happen is for us to daily interact with the Lord, for us to open his word, 
on Sunday morning, we can, we can peel back some layers, right? I can try to um, give some explanation of different words to help you kind of understand things better. But ultimately, the responsibility of communicating God's word isn't on me. As, as a pastor, that's almost extremely freeing. It's on God. I, need, I have a responsibility to point you in the right direction, right, and to try to reveal some different things. But ultimately, God has revealed, he reveals himself to each one of us as individuals. You don't need me. That's the promise of Jesus. That's what we get through Jesus, is that we get to now get to know creator, the one that has the vantage point above everything else, the one who actually knows what is true. The only way that that's going to happen is if we begin to dig into this on our own. It's not going to happen if all that we do and all that our faith consists of is Sunday or is maybe connect group and that's it. And man, God's speaking that to me more than anybody else. Because the times that I'm not blown away by Scripture are the times that I'm not digging in and allowing it to be revealed to me. Because here's the thing. Truth can't be created, but it can be revealed and it can be discovered. We have a responsibility to discover what it is. And if we dig in, if we ask the questions, if we ask God to speak, He will answer. I want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray that God's word allows you to come alive. I want to pray that when you read God's word, it doesn't become commonplace. When you think about the gospel, when you think about Jesus coming to die for me and for you in our place, and we didn't have to do anything, that you go crazy. I pray that that happens. If it's not happening, open God's word and say, God, I need you to reveal yourself to me. Maybe this morning you've been on the fence for a long time. And maybe what's been holding you back is, I just don't know if I can believe this. Maybe this morning, something inside of you, I can tell you what it is. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's maybe knocking on your heart and saying, hey, all the proof's out there. You just need to say yes. You need to finally stop coming up with excuses and be willing to respond to me in light of what Jesus has done for us. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you're in here and you've been walking with the Lord for a while, but it's been, your relationship has just become just a commonplace relationship. It has it doesn't have that spark anymore. Maybe this morning, something needs to be reignited in you. And maybe when you leave this room, that it wasn't, Today, it wasn't the message that reignited you, but it was the spirit inside of you. And that tomorrow when you wake up, that you say, I'm not gonna rely on what happened yesterday. I'm gonna have an experience with the Lord today as well. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And that when you show up next Sunday, it's gonna be funny car worship. And it's gonna be awesome. So let me pray for us. And um, we'll finish up. Father, I, I don't know if this was what I needed to talk about in regards to John 1. I don't know if I was supposed to go verse by verse and dissect the meaning of every single thing, but God, I just, as I was preparing this, God, I just felt 
an overwhelming sense that we needed to be reminded of the greatness of the gospel, of you coming to us, the word becoming flesh. Got that somehow, some way through this message, God, I pray people, their ears were open to that, God. Their hearts came alive thinking about this, that they just ponder this throughout the day of, God died for me. And that in response to that, I get to now worship him. I get to now have a relationship with the God of the universe. God, I pray that we we all go home and we begin to dig into your word, whether it's us asking these four questions or us just asking you to speak. God, I pray that we do that. God, I pray for depth in this church. God, I pray that you grow us in depth, grow us in our dependence in you. God, I was praying this morning before I came out here, God, I don't wanna do this on my own. I don't have the answers. In fact, I'll screw it up if I try to do it on my own. God, we need your spirit to continue to move, to continue to change hearts. God, change people's hearts this morning. God, I want you to change someone's heart this morning. God, I want to see someone to come to know you. And what's great, guys, whether that's here at this this church or another campus or just another church in general, God, I know someone's going to come to get to know you today. How incredible is that to know that somebody's life, their eternity will be forever changed because of what you did for them. So God, I want to celebrate what you have probably already done in someone's life this morning. But God, I know you're capable of moving even here in this building. God, and I ask that you would do that. So God, stir in people's hearts. God, I pray you come alive in them. God, if there's somebody here today that they've been on the fence, God, they have just wondered about who you are, God, what is actually true, that God, I pray right in this moment that you settled that in their heart and that they know what is true, that they, it's undeniable. Their only response is to say yes to Jesus. So God, I want to ask right now, every single person in this room, if you don't know Jesus, you've never said yes to him, you've never received his spirit, I want to give you that opportunity. I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to know him. I want to know this Jesus that you're talking about of what he did for me. Is there anyone here today that that's you? You want to know him. pray for each person in this room. I want to thank you for what you're doing in and through their life, God. Thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to be sent on our behalf. We love you, God, and we praise you. We lift all this up in your son's name.